On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, Hugh and I discuss this week in the market, TRVN's massive move, fundamental analysis, Q&A, swings of the week, Hugh's DD, best reviews, and a scenario involving finding love with a female trader. <laughs> we got a packed episode, so let's roll. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies. And then there's legends. We're up four percent, baby. No way. Four fucking percent. Buy the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about Idex? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made like a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out likes this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies, pennies, pennies. The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. And they out there making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting in work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity It Dips. And Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. Welcome to the Penny Stock Podcast, sponsored by The Blazing Chronicle. Today is Sunday, August the 9th, and Spy is a soaring eagle with no signs of stopping until it's at least, what, $400? Dude, five. Easy. Yeah, all-time highs in any given moment. I mean, dude, it is, it's crazy. I know we talk about it every week. It's almost becoming like a joke of a segment, but uh, yeah, it just seems like it, it's always going to go up regardless of any situation given. I can't believe it. I, I really never thought that I would see something like this, especially not now. I, I sound like an idiot. Uh, I, I mean, like three months ago, I was like, dude, no, mom, you're not getting any blue chips. Everything's going to go down in any day. Sure enough, man. Uh, they've they, It's been awesome. Uh, Friday, there still was a pretty big drop, but still closed green somehow. Yeah. Yeah, the, the buying into the close was crazy. Seems like people are in the clear, just uh, Sue's sailing on every day except Friday. But on top of uh, that, with everyone else doing good, did you do good? How, how, was, your, how was your week, man? Uh, you know, it, it wasn't too bad. I did hit my goal, which I didn't think I was going to do because, you know, again, we talked about in the midweek podcast that, um, that I lost power Monday yeah, or Tuesday and I was down in Atlantic City for Wednesday. And then when I got power back, I drove back for market open on thursday so so i was all over the place um but you know i mean friday friday i I was only up a little bit and then um after hours i soared so it seems like friday was the only part or the only day that it seemed kind of really difficult to get green uh but at the same time trvn was your swing of the week two weeks ago and after hours it got news approved and you made a shit ton of money i know that was awesome so congratulations on that thank you uh but how what was that news and i i saw it it had a huge drop earlier in the day i I mean was it market manipulation or whatever it might have been can you kind of explain the news and then also maybe explain your thought process throughout the day did you load those dips etc yeah, so I think it was important because I got I got some flack because I did originally say that one of my first price targets was around the $3 mark, which was a 50% mark. Like for 2 weeks, that's you know, I'll take that. And um and like I said, there was no crazy DD on it. And so I did start to scale at 3 and especially as it moved closer to 350. But 
Then, when it dropped all the way back down to my original entry point, I felt the risk to reward based on my DD was there again. So I'm low, like at one point it was like underneath 175 or something. Um, that like that risk to reward to me was insane because like we talked about two weeks ago for our DD, two things that they had going for them. One, in 2018, they had a separate Badufa. Okay, it's, to, it's a alternate to morphine. And there's a lot of problems with morphine, and the FDA wants an alternative to morphine. So I knew that the FDA wanted this. Secondly, when the FDA in 2018, they didn't fail them, but what they did was they gave them a note that said, like, okay, this is what we want done. I think there was, like, four or five, like, check bullet points. And so when, I, when talking with the company, they seemed extremely bullish that they had i mean of course they did but just the confidence that i got from them they said that the fda loved their product they just wanted them to you know change a few things and so i really felt that our risk to reward underneath two was more than good because uh, because if it failed yeah the stock probably would have tanked but i was willing to take that risk to reward so even though i scaled out over three when those dips, I just saw pure manipulation. You know, there. You know, a lot of people were saying that there was like a leak, and there could have been. That was my first thought. But then there was no news that came after that. So I knew that you know that was market manipulation. So what do you do? I was loading the dips because even though it did drop a lot and the chart changed, you know, the risk to reward was better now than originally because we knew knew that news was going to come so that's really why i load the boat and then when i saw after hours everybody was done like friday 7 p.m i'm sitting on my computer just waiting for the news to come because it was going to be a delay a failure or a success so i'm sitting here the news came out and for like two minutes nothing happened so i tripled my position i i mean i tripled my position i slapped the hell out of it and i tripled my position and um Sure enough, you know, I think the, you know, I think uh, all the major um, news outlets, you know, that everyone subscribes to finally picked up on the news. And I mean, the thing just ran. It had like 10 green candles in a row. So go back just three weeks ago or two weeks ago. I believe it is on episode three. He has his initial DD on TRVN whenever it was $1.98. Uh, go check it out. It closed on Friday over three fifty. So two weeks, over 75% gains. Um, and yeah, so it all worked off a of fundamental analysis. And that is the big part of this episode. And I like to always give the definition that the website says before Hugh just says, oh, no, dude, it's everything. So, <laughs> so fundamental analysis, uh, its definition is a method of determining a stock's real fair market value and fundamental analysts search for stocks that are currently trading at prices that are higher or lower than the real value. Is that a fair one or how would you explain it? Yeah, you know, that's actually better than I would have assumed that they had. That That's pretty much what it is. The concept is easy to understand, but where where everyone gets lost is figuring out what fair market value is and like how to calculate that. So I think, you know, this is a really good time for everyone to, you know, if you don't have notes, I think you're going to need a notepad uh, because a lot of people get lost in this. Um, so I think, you know, this is a huge part of trading is your fundamental analysis. Right now, because everything is so overextended, there are less plays that we do that I quote unquote call undervalued. If you guys saw back in like February, March, we were playing a lot of things that were undervalued. Now with the market at all time highs, the fair market value is 
in my opinion, everything is overextended. The fair market value is trading higher or overvalued. And obviously, when we're long something, we want it to be undervalued. So I get asked this question a lot. We, I think I tweeted about it maybe two weeks ago. I talked about the P-E ratio of Amazon. And I talked about how the P-E ratio of Amazon was 134x and how the industry average is around 18 to 20 for a growth stock and for a value stock, it's around you know 13, you know maybe 15. So with them trading at 10 times that level, you know that means that that people are expecting the Amazon to grow exponentially in the coming years. So before we get into the nitty gritty, what is price to earnings ratio? Okay, so it's the ratio of a company's share price. Okay, by the company's earning per share. So how do we calculate that? We take share price, so say 100, divided by earnings per share. Now, how do you get earnings per share? Every time that a company, you know, quarterly and annually, they give an EPS or earnings per share. That means that the amount of shares outstanding in the market, okay, when they do their earnings, it's how much do they gain or lose per share, so you'll see like three cents per share loss. So that means that for every share in the market, they technically lost three cents. Okay, so I think that that is really key to understand what is earnings per share. So when we're trying to calculate this, you go back to the quarterly statement and you find the most recent earnings per share. Okay, and then obviously the current share price that gets you your price to earnings ratio. Now, your price to earnings ratio is one of my favorite valuation tools because that tells me what are people willing to pay for the future. Okay, so this is what they think the future of the company is going to go. So, um, so again, that your PE ratio is what investors are willing to pay for the future of the company. Okay, so again, I like so that 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 whole formula, share price divided by earnings per share uh is the price to earnings ratio, which is this PE. Yes. Right. Okay. So yeah, so PE price to earnings and then uh EPS earning per share. There's your yes. acronyms. There's my there's my two cents for everyone listening. You're welcome, guys. Yeah, and so again, you know, you kind of want to say, you know, okay, now that I have my PE ratio, what does that even mean? And so what that, you know, again, how do we tell if something is trading at overvalued or undervalued? And how we tell that is, again, if something is, so you have your value stocks, okay? That's something that you're not, you're not looking for it to grow exponentially, but it's probably not going to go down because it's a value stock. So that's your AT&Ts, you know, usually they're asset heavy, your AT&T stock, you know, your utilities, things like that. And then you have your growth stocks. And so that is, you know, your Apple, your tech stocks, your, most of your tech stocks are going to be growth stocks. Um, so like AMD, things like that. And so your value stocks, you want to be trading around 13 to 15 PE ratio and your growth stocks, you want to be trading under 20, I would say. Now the S&P, again, is more value. So you would want the S&P 500 to be trading at around 15 maybe 16 because it is a little tech heavy. Now, the S&P is trading at 27, I believe was the last number that I saw. We can check that, but I think it was 27. So that means that it's trading. Hey, Jamie, trading. Jamie, pull that up for me. 
That's a Jay Rogan joke. Never mind. Just keep going. <laughs> so that means that the S&P is trading at significantly higher value than what its industry or the, the what it should be trading at. So that's why, you know, when I look at it in the 98 bubble, the S&P bef- at its highest point was like 29.7. So we're getting close to where it crashed in 98. Now that doesn't mean anything because history doesn't, you know, um, past performance doesn't indicate future results but it's something to keep in mind you know like will the market when you ask yourself will the market keep going up so that's price to earnings ratio i think that that's one of the most simplest ways to understand a stock's value now one of my favorite things was wtrh wtrh i think at its lowest point um before tillman came in it was at trading at 30 negative well, oh, oh it, you meant yeah, well, yeah, it, yeah. The sh- yeah. So the stock was trading at thirty cents, but the um, earnings per share was like fifty cent loss per share. So the EPS was negative fifty cents, and they are that. So that was like I think uh, that was quarter three of last year, and Tillman came in around December, and he compl- he fired the CEO because he was an idiot, and he completely reorganized the business, and I think. I'm, you know, I'm confident to say that by the end of the year, they will most likely be profitable. So, you know, it's important. We talked about management last week, and this is really important. You know, Tillman is able, you know, anytime I see Tillman on something, I'm usually a fan of it because it's not necessarily that he's going to keep WTRH forever. He'll probably sell it or something, but that's okay because he comes into companies and changes them for something to go with for that big of a loss, negative 50 cents per share, and for them to be profitable in one year's time is is insane. It's outrageous. So um, that's kind of my P.E. ratio rant. All right. So with all that being said, you use fundamental analysis as one of your main things for DD. Uh, one of your past calls was RMBL, Rumble. And before it's RS and even after it, you know, it had some nice runs. Could you kind of go over maybe some some of that fundamental analysis that you discovered that made you bullish on that? Yeah. So, again, one of the guys that's been institutional in my growth is obviously incredible, Bob. And one of the things that he taught me was how undervalued. So, again, we talk about my matrix a lot. And, um, you know, part of the matrix is, is it undervalued? Okay, is there a catalyst and is there a chart? So when all three of these things meet, again, is there a catalyst? Is the chart sexy? And how are the fundamentals? Is it undervalued? When all three of those meet, it usually can become a supernova when that catalyst comes out. Now, if you have to have a little bit of patience with some of these because the catalyst could be far out and it being an undervalued stock doesn't mean that like, you know, it's not like an FDA catalyst. So if so it might not take, you know, like TRVN, it might not go up 70% in a day. It might be like a slow grinder, which that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So one of the things that Bob taught me was, you know, to understand an undervalued stock. So with Rumble, Rumble, now this is, we'll go through this, but in the last year, they had increased their revenue by 400%, okay? And it wasn't like those crappy shippers where, you know, they get like a million dollar contract and they put out a press release saying that, you know, the revenue is going up a thousand percent. That's not how this was. They had real 
hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue and they had increased 400%. And this was even before Corona. So this was in 2019. So now, okay, that, you know, you say, Hugh, that's great. What else? But the stock had been down 97% inside that time period. So again, in 2019, they had 400% revenue increase and the stock was down 97%. That alone, that alone tells me two things. One, it could easily be a super undervalued stock. Again, you have your anomalies that like, you know, maybe they got a huge contract or something, but when they're an asset heavy um, company and, you know, it's not like one car or one motorcycle is going to make up for that 400% revenue, that tells me right off the bat that something good is going on here. And then on top of that, with the stock being down 97%, that tells me two things. Either they did a lot of offerings because they had to, so kind of like EVFM did a one huge offering, but it tanked the stock. So they either had to do a lot of offerings and that tells me that the chart is probably pretty sexy and probably has some gap downs. So, you know, again, everything that flies down, you know, has the ability to fly up just like WTRH, just like, you know, UAVS, you know, everything that, that, you know, is beaten down, you know, as long as you're not in the stock while it's getting beaten down, you know, it, it can create huge, 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 huge returns. So Rumble, so that was really huge with Rumble. And then, you know, the cherry on top of that was that, you know, they had, um, you know, I found some articles that said that because of, now this is when Corona was just starting out, that because of Corona, that 80% of car sales, if they had some algorithm that 80% of car sales could be moved online for this year and that there's an estimate that for the next two to five years that 60% of car sales overall would be moved to online. So this opens up a huge, 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 huge market opportunity for Rumble. It's kind of like Amazon. Amazon beat expectations last week by mass, by like billions and billions of dollars. I think it was like $6 billion that they beat estimation by. And that's because you know why? One huge difference that they saw was that in one market that they could never get into was elderly people never used Amazon. Because of Corona, elderly people were forced to use, you know, online and Amazon, etc. And that opened up a huge... Dude, if you thought if you thought those uh, infomercials with your grandma were bad, now she's got Amazon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Amazon moved into a whole sector because of Corona that they couldn't even touch. Couldn't even touch. And so that alone... That, that alone just catapulted Amazon because now elderly people love it, but getting them to start something is impossible. But once they start it, you know, good luck it. getting them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like grandma has an entire screen just for Amazon. So, <laughs> yeah, dude. And another thing with the, with the car thing you were talking about, uh, that I actually tried to explain that to my old bosses because I worked at a consulting firm that trained car salesmen. And I yeah. was like, you're not going to have many car salesmen soon. They're like, yeah, we will. I'm like, okay, Gramps. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a failing business. No, exactly. And I think one of the biggest things with trading is that, and we talk about this, is that you know nobody cares if you called it five years ago or nobody cares if you called it five years ago. If, if I can get the maximum return 
in a in shorter the shortest amount, of amount of time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that's huge. And and the other thing is that I want to be ahead of the curve. So if I'm not in something, but I miss twenty percent of gains, but I'm in it two weeks. So you know, again, we talk about this a lot. That I try to take a swing that's two to three weeks out because nobody's talking about it. We talked about TRVN. And literally at the beginning of last week, it was just starting to get noticed. And I was telling people, listen, wait till August comes. People are going to, people aren't going to look for August plays until August is here. Dude, and they're like, August? I'm like, that's so yeah. far. Like, dude, it's July 26th. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm looking at plays for March, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to get in the play now. I'm looking at plays for next March. That doesn't mean that I'm getting into the play now. But when you better believe that when the end of January comes around, I'm going to start that 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 stock is going to be up on my screen and I'm going to be watching that stock. And the second that I see the volume increase and I feel like someone's messing with it, boom, I get in. And so again, you want the biggest return in the shortest amount of time. So even though I like to get in plays early, that's because I like to get in it in like what I call the sweet spot. So when it's not too early, like I'm not getting in two months early, but I feel like I'm getting in before the crowd recognizes it. So again, TRV. So your, your sweet spot is two weeks, two, three weeks. I feel like two to three weeks is my sweet spot. Um, be, yeah, I like two to three weeks. That's really what I try. Because um, a yeah. week out, it's already started to move. Uh, yeah, a week know. out. Yeah, I mean, even TRVN, if you guys look at the chart, I mean, it's had a nice run up for the last like few months. But again, I'm not, I'm looking for the best return in the shortest amount of time. So when I knew that TRVN was at the beginning of August, but I know how lazy some traders are. Like some traders are incredibly lazy and don't look for plays in August until August 1st. So when they see something that has a Padufa on the seventh, and it's the first. They're like, "Oh yeah, pff, this is perfect." So we knew, you know. Again, you always got to be thinking. You always got to be thinking about the other side. So you know, we talk about TRVN. How the shorts are seeing the same exact people that just do shorting. They are seeing the same exact chart, the same exact fundamentals as I am. I need to think like them. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever, I actually had a couple things about shorting. Have you ever done fundamentals and were like, holy fuck, dude, I'm shorting this for two weeks or buying a put or something? Yeah, I usually, I don't usually short. I usually buy puts on something and that's not on small caps. That's purely on mid caps. Uh, and my, my other personal fundamental question was that is the fundamental analysis the first thing you look for whenever you're doing it? Like go straight for price. Cause I know you're a big cash guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what? I didn't touch on that. That's huge because obviously fundamentals include, um, cash and cash, cash is king. Cash is always, 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 always king. So when I'm looking at something, you know, for anyone, if you're, if you went to college and you were like a business major, you probably had a good amount of time talking about PE ratio and stuff like that. And honestly, I hated it because I didn't, it's not that I understood. I just thought that they didn't explain it correctly. So, and I don't think that you need 15 to 20 different valuation metrics. If, you know, there's, I'm, I know, I, oh, I know I'm going to open up my DMs on Tuesday or Monday morning. And, um, and there's going to be someone that goes, well, actually, Hugh, I use seven different valuation metrics. And I'm like, dude, I don't care. I use three, one, two, three that I work for me. Okay, my biggest issue with it in college was that they were giving me 15 to 20. I don't care. I just want the ones that are going to make me the most money. So for me, that's been PE ratio. And with that, I look at cash because just because Rumble was down 97% 
in the year doesn't mean that it can't go down lower. It, it totally could. I mean, you know, even though it was, we got into like 32 cents, who says it can't go to 15 cents? And that's a whole, you know, that's down a whole, you know, I'm losing half my money if it does that. So, you know, you want to look at cash, you want to look at PE ratio, and then also one thing that's not in, you know, one thing that like isn't really talked about, but the outside, the outliers. So you want to look at the competition. Where's the growth metric here? You know, even though Rumble is an online sales and that's where car sales are looking, does Rumble have the, does Rumble, can Rumble do that? Can Rumble scale to that size? And, you know, they also had a, our catalyst was that the warehouse burned down. So, you know, I actually went through way too many insurance claims and way too many insurance timelines to create a good enough of a timeline so that I could understand when on the average time period, um, when they would get their insurance check for the warehouse that burned down. And I felt like I was right. I definitely was Well, I mean, I was right because they released an 8k, but they didn't really talk about it too much, which I was kind of upset at the management because they really didn't make it a big deal, even though they got millions of dollars. So I actually sent them an email and ripped them because they got the catalyst that we were looking for, but they didn't make a big deal out of it. So when you guys are looking at fundamental analysis, literally my breakdown is to look at the PE ratio. And, and again, the most, something that we haven't talked about yet, but it's important to note that with certain industries, it doesn't matter. Hence, biopharmas, small cap biopharmas, do, do, do not, do not even try. Because, I mean, you see EVFM, they had three years of, of expectation beats. Last quarter, 60% miss. This quarter, 150%. And there's nothing insane, except the only difference is that the operating expenses went up because they're bringing a new product to market. So please, dear God, stay away from doing um, valuations on price to earnings and fundamental analysis. Okay, if they have a short-term catalyst, Look at the cash, understand, you know, understand if they're going to drop an offering, but do not, if, oh, if you're trying to find the next Merck or the next Johnson and Johnson, you know, whatever, stop, stop because you're going to get smoked. Okay. Okay. So I think we can move into the questions we have on these kind of run through them because we've, we've yeah. smoked fundamental analysis. Yeah, I know. I learned, learned about bit. it. My bad. What I, what I learned about fundamental analysis is that there is nothing fun about it. Um, okay, so with questions and answers, is it easier for penny stocks or large caps and why? Okay, so I'm going to answer this in two parts. One is going to be that I'm going to say large caps mostly because of the reason that you can apply most valuations to large caps. Where, as I was saying, is that smaller cap biopharmas, you can't really get an accurate representation for the most part when you're trying to do like uh, EV, which is enterprise value, and when you're trying to calculate, you know, future revenues, things like that. Um, the other thing is that most of the time you can actually find most um, fundamental analysis valuations for large caps online, where as far as small, cap, small caps, you can't. So if you can understand what you know each valuation means then that means you know as long as you can interpret what each fundamental 
analysis valuation means, then most of them are online for the large caps because different online sites and different things like that will actually calculate for you, which is really cool. So overall, I'd say based on convenience and the fact that it can be applied to 99% of large caps, I would say large caps for sure. Okay, so next question is going to be, do you only use fundamental analysis? No, 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 no. In fact... Like technical analysis guy too, huh? Yeah, yeah, again, my matrix is based on what is going to give me the best return in the shortest amount of time using all of the metrics. So again, you guys need to, you know, even though PE is my go-to fundamental valuation, doesn't mean that it has to be yours. And it doesn't mean that, you know, mine is, you know, quote unquote, correct, because it's not or I mean, for me it is, but that doesn't mean that for you it is as well. So again, my matrix is based on, you know, a mix of fundamental plus technical plus everything else that I feel is important in like volume and, you know, management. Some things you can't quantify, like the management, you can't quantify that. And that's not fundamental or technical. So, um, so I kind of give that like its own, you know, separate area. And I think that that's really important. What is the difference in technical and fundamental analysis? Uh, I think I think this one's going to have to be for a later episode. But if you kind of want to give a little a little summary, a little quickie. Yeah. So I mean, the fundamental analysis really digs into the 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 bones. The, oh, here we go. The fundamental analysis really digs into the bones of the company. So you know, you look at financial statements, the health, its competitors. You really, you know, if, if I was going to do anything, you know, you're really more of like a surgeon. Okay, you know, you're, you're not you don't really care what the face looks like, but you're really going in to see, you know, how much calcium she's got in the bones. Okay, where technical I was, analysis, I was waiting for an analogy. <laughs> oh, dude, don't worry. I got a few more. And then, you know, technical analysis is more like, you know, so again, fundamental analysis is when you're looking for a wife. Okay. You really want to why see, do you need why do you need to know how much calcium your potential wife has? Dude, it's imp- it's an important metric. Are you okay, kidding fair, me? Okay, fair, fair. Well, dude, yeah, I, I I'm, want, I'm not a big milk guy, so. Dude, I don't want little Hugh getting smoked on the football field, dude. If he gets hit, you know, I don't want You don't want him up. having very, very fragile bones? Yeah, no way, baby. I mean, I got to know her calcium. So, again, <laughs> fundamental analysis you're, you're, is when you're looking for a wife, okay? You want her for the long term. You want her for the growth. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you really want to see what's underneath the hood of the car, okay? <laughs> Technical analysis is, now again, I'm saving it for Mrs. Hugh, okay? I, I do not, I, in no way do right. I yes. condone this. We are a virgin podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Me for different reasons. I just <laughs> haven't had any luck. <laughs> and technical analysis is when, you know, we'll say Vinny is at the bar and Vinny's looking for, you know, a wife for the night. You know what I mean? So technical mm-hmm. analysis, wife for the night. Fundamental analysis is the wife forever, the growth. The wife for life, not, you know. Yeah, the wife for life, you know what I mean? And I think that that's really, really important. But if you're creating the perfect, the per oh man, this is so good. If you're creating the perfect wife, then you combine both. Because, you know, on Friday nights when the little Hugh nice. goes to bed, you know. Yeah. You, yeah, you know what I mean? You want to go role You're going to watch him R-rated our movie. Oh, huh? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, you know, you want when when the kids go down to bed on yeah. Friday night, you know, you want to go to the bar and role play like you guys have never met. But what the still... fuck? 
<laughs> you, this is how you imagine what you and your wife will do after having kids is you go to the bar and you role play like you never met before. Yeah, it's kind of my thing. We'll talk about this later, man. Uh, I, next question. <laughs> what fundamental metric do you look at most to pick a stock to buy? Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about cash and I like PE ratio. I think that that's really important. All right, cool. So that finishes up the unfundamental analysis. Now to finish this bad boy off with our swings of the week, Q&A, formerly known as question and A, Hughes DD, and we got a nice little scenario involving finding love and Ooh. trying to convince a trader that you know what trading is. <laughs> okay, so start off with swings of the week, brought to you by the Blazing Chronicle, as is everything else. AVGR, SPAC, or Henrik Fisker, NONTX. I am swinging a little less because I'm a day trader, baby. So I did skim some of those down or slim some of those down a little bit. But uh, what, what, are, what are you looking at? Uh, yeah, so I mean, of course, we got SPAC. We got the EVFN. Uh, I keep getting this question and I keep reiterating the same thing. Oh, yeah, EVFN for me too. Um, OTLK, again. I don't know how else to say this. There's a huge seller, okay? You can see it from the price action, okay? It hit like a wall at 173, okay? This was supposed to be a run-up to phase three, okay? Now, we still have some time, but I will not take a loss. I'm, I'm you know, I think it's really important. We talked about this a lot, okay? You can flirt with her, okay? If you know that she has a boyfriend, you can flirt with her. If he's if, if the boyfriend's just gonna sit in the corner, but the second that he gets up and he punches you in the mouth once, that's when you get out. Okay, there's no point in fighting something that's bigger than you. All right. What now, if, what if why is it, if he just jumps straight to the punch? Can he not talk about it first? Could he not say like stop hitting on my girlfriend? Or are you just oh that doesn't saying, matter. Uh, oh that okay. Yeah, that, right. that doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? We wait till we get punched in the face, but we understand. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll walk out with a with a. You know, so, so right right now that seller on OTLK is saying, dude, you better watch yourself. And yeah. you're like, no, bitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like he, okay. he, you know, he at this point in time, he went from sitting to now standing. And he's giving me the eye, but you know, I still got my hand on her back, you know what I mean? And <laughs> but understand that if I get punched, okay, I'm okay with taking a shiner. Okay, I'll play with fire. So what is what is your pain threshold here? What is your, I guess, where where is the price of OTLK got to be for you to say I'm leaving this bar? Yeah, like 120, I'd say. One, or like 115, 115. Right. Um, and anything else you're swinging? Uh, yeah, so we, we're, honestly, I forgot what I said. So SPAC, EVFM, OTLK. Yeah, I know. I was like, you you don't even know what segment we're on anymore. You're just like, so OTLK and SPAC. And I've been asked about OTLK. Let me tell you, it's like the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, I, I really do. Uh, am I forgetting anything else? What else am I forgetting? EVFM, uh, SPAC. Uh, yeah, I think you got yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, and okay. I mean like small TRVN. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, just some leftovers. So you ready for a little a little Q and A? Yeah, let's do it. Do you trade because of the money or because you love it? And what amount is enough? Uh, I definitely trade because of the money. I don't have a job, and it is fun. And I love the community. It kind of brings us all together. It's a fun little a fun little group that we've all discovered, and yeah, it's it's been a blast. I do love it, and 
It's awesome. I love the money as well. Uh, what is enough? Probably 150 million. Obviously, I'm thinking like 25 years, but you know, making multiple streams of revenue from trading in general is also a nice little gig. What about you? Yeah, this is really tough because I think about this a lot. Like 16 year old me, like it was like I wanted to be Bobby Axelrod or nothing. Like if I didn't have 200 million, then I was a schmook. Uh, I think now as I get older and I understand, you know, that money, you know, is fun, but I think, I think I want to work hard until I get to like, you know, maybe like a hundred million or something. And then that's when I start really taking the gas pedal off. You know, like I, I've talked about this a few times when I get a little, you know, little hue, you know, I think that that'll be important to me is like, it'll be time over, you know, I'll sacrifice some money, um, over, you know, spending time. So I think that, you know, enough is like when I get to a hundred million and maybe like 27, 28 is like when I really want to start taking the gas pedal off and start um, putting your seed out. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just like uh, right now I value right now. I value the money over the time. I'm okay with working 20 hours a day. Um, but I think that when I get older in life that, um, that that will do the opposite especially because yeah because i mean you're working this yeah you're working this hard right exactly. now for hopes of in the future right exactly okay so the next question is how do you grow your net worth can you go into more detail if it's more to do with being frugal or what i think i think being frugal is is very important and just not spending your money on like dumb things I mean, you just can't afford it you have no need to buy it yeah yeah I, when i hit two million um i bought myself like a more expensive watch than i would ever do that um but besides that, you know, I mean, I did that just to say that I did it, you know, so that I could like realize the kind of money that we bring yeah. in. You know, I kind of, you know what I mean? Like kind of did that to be like, cause right now I keep like, like $5,000 in my bank account. Like I sweat when I pay like my thousand dollar credit card or whatever. So, um, when I did that, I did that so that I could understand the kind of money that we're making. Um, but this is a, we can go into this more in depth another day, but to grow your net worth, it is purely based on two things. It's not based on how much money you make because the money will come. It's about, and everyone says this, but it's so true. It's about how much you save. Now, again, I'm going to have people that come in, Hugh, you know, you, you know, I got three kids, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. If you're not working somewhere, and I, my friends that work at big banks like you, JP Morgan, you Morgan Stanley's, my biggest issue with working there is that they don't let you trade on the side. And that's, you know, obviously that's not third fall, but... You have to understand that if you have more expenses, that means that you need more income. So right now, even to this day, I save so much of my income. And even when I was making, you know, seven, eight thousand dollars a year, like you know, when I was fifteen, I was saving every, I was saving like virtually everything. Um, you know, I was always running numbers in my head. So again, it's about how much you save, how much your money works for you. Okay, because you you gotta understand that you're paid. Based on when you're an employee, you're paid based on the amount of hours you work in a day. Right now, I'm paid based on how much work I do. I know that if I take a day off, I'm basically losing like a, uh, you know, a good amount of money. But I'm not paid for my time. I'm paid for my results. When you're an employee, you are paid by how much time you put in. So if you create multiple revenue streams and you save as much as possible, that is how you are going to grow your net worth, okay? If you can save 80% and also have two other revenue streams where it's not you're not paid based on your time, 
but you're paid based on your results. So that can be, you know, maybe, you know, starting up a podcast or yeah, even, exactly. Yeah. That, you know I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like real estate. If the stock like market, if the stock market closed next week, I'd still feel relatively comfortable knowing that I have a decent fault. Like I'm just trying to build other forms of revenue from yeah. doing all this, you know, yeah, just exactly. every, everything you're good at, just try and make it profitable. Yeah, yeah, you know, still work your your job where you're paid, you know, if you're kind of, if you feel like you're in a rut, you know, still work your job that pays you based on your time. But if you buy, you know, go to a local ice cream shop and buy into part of that company or something, and even if you're only getting $1,000 a month, that will grow. And you're also paid, you're paid for not doing anything. You're getting $1,000 a month for doing nothing. So I think that's really important to make your money. And, you know, this is going to sound so simple, but nobody understands this. You know, make sure, first, have a plan. I hate people that just leave it to their financial advisor. You should know where every single dollar of yours and why it's going there. Okay? So understand that. Two. Arby's and because they have really good roast beef sandwiches. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, make your money work for you, even if it's a small amount. $500 extra a month for doing nothing is huge. That adds up, okay? Like, that's your insurance, or I don't know what insurance costs, but it's like, that. that is one bill of yes. that is now yes. eliminated. Exactly, for doing nothing. And here's the thing, is that is that, that will grow. And then if you trade on the side, again, you know, and, and, the, and again, it's so awesome when you start making money, and I just have like a frugal gene, gene in me that like, you know, when I made my first hundred grand, you know, I bought sushi. When I made my first million, I bought sushi. Um, right. That was like my big splurge. So don't increase your life of luxury. You know, again, when I hit two million, I bought a watch. Okay. That's or two million on the year. Not, yeah. Two million on the year. I bought a watch, but that was so that I could kind of, you know, see what I was working towards and that's okay. Yeah. It's a lot of things. It's like, you, you can put in these extra hours in the thing, even if you have the job and you can cut expenses. Like, I did not. Well, I woke up an hour late to record the podcast today. And, you know, we we really enjoy doing it, but it is extra work. But it's not just like, but I mean, it's the thing is, it's you like you said, if you just keep the the your costs the same. And even if you need to cut them, you can do that, too. Even if you have these three kids, do you really need the extra room? Like it's stuff like that. Could you cut it down uh, 400 square feet? Could you rent? Exactly. Yeah, and that and that's really important is to make your money work for you. And secondly, when you start to get a taste of the money, okay, you have to understand that never that at, at this current moment that it's not enough. That it is not enough that you want more. And again, I say I say you know I bought this expensive watch, and there, that's okay. That's okay because I feel that I needed to do something to understand why I was working so hard. So I bought an overpriced, expensive Swiss billionaire watch. But my point is that I'm not going to buy that every other week. You know, if you go and the second that you hit a million, you go and buy a new house and your mortgage now doubles. Well, guess what? Now you're in the same exact issue. So instead, you know, take your family on a vacation, a one-time vacation where you're not breaking the bank, but you understand why you're working so hard. And, And then, and then don't do that every month, you know, do it once and then be done with it. Yeah. I think one really bad thing is if someone just has that one big trade, it's like winning the lottery. Yep. You know, exactly. exactly. So I think, I think we can kind of go into some of the other questions. Uh, 
Could you elaborate your trading style, Dan, when you say that you play the price action uh, to a new trader who doesn't understand price action? Yeah, so I think it has a lot more to do with maybe the personality of a stock when it comes to the charting part. Uh, I just learn how the stock works and, you know, get, and obviously this will change. I, I'll have to change this whenever market conditions are different. But as of right now, it works really well for me. And I'm literally just loading these dips and being ballsy in a market that seems to uh, reverse a good bit. And also, they're all kind of running in the same channel. I go buy the stocks that I know run. Like TTNP has a nice 28 cents to 33 cents or 28 to 30 or 30 to 33, which it may seem like it's only two cents and it is, but that's eight to 10%. So I'm just playing for those quick flips uh, and I scale in and out really quick. And that, that's all I do is trade whenever I trade. And then I always just play things that have catalysts so I can wake up and, uh, you know, hope for the best. You know, I love waking up to that like 200 percenter. There's nothing better. Nothing better. <laughs> okay, so this one's for Hugh. If you go back five years in time, knowing what you know now, what are some key pieces of advice you would give your younger self, some do's and don'ts, and were you ever a penny flipper? Yeah, I tried to be a penny flipper, but with my schedule, it was just difficult because my senior year, I was working like two, three jobs. Um, I was trying to take a college, some college classes, and I still had high school. So penny flipping became extremely difficult, and I ended up just losing more and more money. Um, if I could tell myself... I'd probably just say, you know, I mean, obviously, like at that time, you know, it, you know, mentally I was in, you know, a little bit of a difficult time because I had, you know, like I, I had, I was in the middle of like, you know, adapting to, you know, we talk about. Yeah, a every, bit. everyone wants to, everyone's telling you all about college and shit, but you're doing yeah. a damn good job at trading. <laughs> yeah, well, well, like five years ago, like, you know, I wasn't touching my first six figures yet. So I was still like, ah, like, is this a real thing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, like, you know, I was putting, I was putting in the 20 hours a day, but I wasn't seeing any results. And then on top of that, uh, we talk about, I don't like to talk about this much, but you know, on top of that, I was trying to get used to, you know, my new heart disease, if you will, and, uh, adapting to that. So, um, you know, I think that really the biggest thing was just, and, and I think this is why we really created this podcast was so that we just keep telling people that like, like you'll hear me say it over and over again. Nobody is born a good trader. Just keep plugging away, you know? Yeah, dude. I, yeah, I, at first I was going to say like, they don't want to hear, uh, just keep trying. But I think like, that is like the biggest thing. If yeah. you just keep working at it. I mean, it, obviously there are some things that you just aren't good at. You know, yeah. may, maybe everyone can't just be a trader, but at the same time, if you truly believe that you can, you are having fun with this, just keep learning and keep, keep at yeah. it. Yeah. I think that that's key. My, mine, I think, I know this question was for you, but mine, I know if I went back five years, obviously that wouldn't matter, but just one of the major things that I changed, I mentioned this in the past, I changed my stop loss to a limit buy. And it was like just a crazy difference for me. Just because I would notice these stocks just go right past my limit or my stop loss and then just jolt right back up. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so for your DD of the week, you got something for us? Yeah, so again, I think it's really important that we talk about, you know, this is, I feel like I say like the same five things over and over again, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it works. Um, so play the hot hand, you know, we talk a lot about, um, 
we talk a lot about sympathy plays and like I don't really love sympathy plays, but when UAVS was up two hundred percent, hell yeah, play Vissel. So the same Vissel's thing is gonna sizzle. Yeah, so the same thing is with market sectors. You know, when WTRH was running, so was every other food delivery. You know, so I think that that's really important. So with this huge TRVN Padufa, I'm looking towards LPCN now. You know, again, this isn't going to be any crazy DD where I'm connecting, you know, LPC and Merck or whatever. But we can play the hot hand. They have a Padufa this month. And now I probably, probably, let me, let me, you know, put a little asterisk in there. Probably will not hold it through the Padufa because I think, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but they've had three failed already. Now, maybe like the fourth is the charm, but I want, I have a, I'm trying to schedule a call with the management and that'll give me a better insight to how I feel about holding through the Padufa. Now, I don't have a position in it yet, and I will not have a position until probably Wednesday because I like my sweet spot. So another another thing about this is you're just playing it for the Padufa run-up. And yes. for anyone that's kind of confused about that, like I mentioned, he does explain his TRVN DD uh, in episode three, I believe. And that he kind of goes over the Padufa run up and everything. If you need to know more about that, yes. And and again, when when we were talking about TRVN, I was so confident that they were going to go through it, and that's because I had talked to management. I had understood that they hadn't failed before, but the FDA wanted them to change a few things. So I think um, you know LPCN is in a little bit of a different you know area than that, and I don't really necessarily at this moment believe in the actual Padufa getting approved, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen. So my plan is to initiate a position on Wednesday, scale into it, depending on where the price is, all the way into a position by Friday, and then play the run up and beat out, a, I would say at least 70% for the Padufa. Now, if I talk to the management, I learn a little bit more about it and I like it, then maybe I'll hold. But right now that's the plan. Nothing crazy. All right, sweet. Um, so before we get into our scenario and fire reviews, uh, a little update on the Henrik Fisker situation. Uh, I've been tossed around by two of the vice president communications for this interview. We were discussing August 10th, which is tomorrow, but I did get back in touch with Henrik and he said, uh, we'll, we'll circle on one of these coming weeks. So it is vague. Uh, I've never done this with CEOs before, but we are, we're, you know, we're trying and we're learning and uh, hopefully we can deliver that soon. Uh, but with that being said, the scenario we have this week, it's a good one. You ready? Yeah, let me hear it. Yo, Hugh, need your opinion on this. I had this girl I have a crush on over the other night and we started talking about stocks. Ooh, dude, Ooh. he would be naked. He'd be butt ass naked. Dude. I told this is <laughs> I told her I've been dabbling in the market since May. Told her I've been pretty successful thanks to you and Atlas. She then throws a curveball and says she's always been interested in the market and wants to get involved. I was speechless. That was the last <laughs> thing I expected. She began asking a ton of questions about everything. I told her I would set up a day to have her over and help her get started if she was seriously interested. I am now hesitant. I told her it takes time and patience. I don't want to feel responsible if things go south for her. I know you're not a relationship account, but I feel like I can relate to you, so any input or advice would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Yes, I may have had a few tonight. Uh, 
So, yeah, this this is a good one, man. He would have... I love yeah, this one. Dude, I mean, you got the floor, buddy. All right, three quick things. One, future Mrs. Hugh, if you are listening to this, just whisper... Just whispering. Our, our yeah, demographic. PE ratios. Our demographic is eight <laughs> percent female. So to the to the three hundred that are out there, man. Listen, if you are the one, okay. Understand this, okay. If you want to wait in my heart, just start, you know, whispering low PE ratios into my ear. Um, two. How many low flow biopharmaceutical stock? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> two. How many girlfriends do you think are going to listen to this and like instantly look at their boyfriends like in the, like now and in the future? I feel like I get this question a lot because, you know, it is impressive when you and I and Zach and Bob, you know, we're making hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And they're like, well, shoot, if you can do that from your bedroom, why can't I? OK, and I think that this is also important. OK, because I actually get we get this question a lot and it's important to understand, fellas. <laughs> and women, okay, that she may understand how much you love this, okay, and she may just be doing, you know, keeping the conversation going simply <laughs> to hang out with you, okay, and because she knows that you love it, I, I, I can't even tell you, yeah, I mean, you know, just keep that in mind, that, you know, I don't want you to go and start, you know, telling her about your favorite Golden Cross SMA, you know, <laughs> reversal, you know, on the chart and start spitting Hugh out knows from the Hugh knows from experience that is not the way to uh, <laughs> to get a girl. Yeah, I'm a total nerd, actually, um, to be honest. But uh, yeah, so, so before you start spitting out fundamental analysis to her, I would really try and understand, is she doing this to hang out with you, bro? Or is she uh, doing this because she wants well, to? Well, the thing is... The thing is, she's at first I thought he didn't want to have this because he was confused and may not have known enough about stocks that she would be expecting to know. But I think he's mainly worried about that she'll get into stocks and start losing money and she'll be worried. So I think my advice would be, as you explain her questions, make sure she knows that you can lose a shit ton of money in it and let her know that you, whenever you started, let's say your average relationship only lasts eight months. Say it took me around nine months to really get good at trading. Yeah. You know, just so then, you know, the whole time you're in the relationship and she's losing money, it's not, you know, it's not your fault. And then, you know, if she starts continues to lose money after you break up, it don't matter. Yeah, who cares? Then? No, <laughs> uh, no, I think, yeah, it's really important that, and this is, you know, I've had, I, I still have hundreds of people, you know, reach out to me about this. It's so important to understand a few things. One, she has to have risk. Like if she's really into this, okay, she just wants to hang out with you. Then none of this means anything and do your thing, bro. But if she's really into this, she has to understand a few things. One, this is a tough game mentally. Okay. Um, and, and, this is a tough game mentally, and most of the girls that you know have reached out to me about this, they come back in three months and they say, "Yeah, I couldn't handle it mentally," uh, and that's that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So she has to understand the mental aspect of it that this game is tough, that most people lose money, and that the successful ones usually they lost money in the beginning. You know, she really has to understand that it is a grind. It is a grind and that she has to, you know, again, it sounds like you really like her and that you don't want to lose money and that's awesome. She needs to start small. 
Okay, so even if you know, even if she starts with twenty bucks, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Tell her that she needs to be, you know, become consistent. You know, you know, I hate to say this, but when we all talk about trading, we're like, yeah, like you know, I made quarter million dollars on Friday. Nobody understands how much actually went into that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you made quarter of a million dollars. That's great. Nobody understands that this is six years leading up to it, working 20 hours a day. So she needs to understand. And, you know, of course, when I'm talking to people, you know, and I say I made quarter of a million, you know, I'm not telling them about how much work went into it. So, she, you know, and I'm sure that when you were trying to impress her, you probably weren't telling her how much work went into it. You were probably telling her that, you know, you, I opened up my Robin Hood and, you know, boom, up two grand. So I think it's really important that she understands how much work goes into it, that she needs to start small, become consistent, and most importantly, you know, uh, if she starts kicking your ass, then, then, you know, you probably should break up with her. Yeah, oh, yeah, you can't let that happen. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, there's Hugh and Dan's relationship advice. <laughs> uh, so our lastly news segment, um, this is called reviews i haven't really thought of a good name for it yet but whenever we get our shirts in we're going to be giving away one week to some whoever has the best review doesn't have to be funny it can be nice uh but yeah here i i have already reached out to a few of these dudes uh some of these are actually pretty hilarious um the first one is it has been said that you will be the average of your five closest friends. If that is the case, Dan is clearly dragging down the average of his guests. <laughs> okay, that was, yeah, that one's good. Uh, yeah, dude, I'd be at 50 million if it were Yeah, dude, I'd, I'd probably be better off as well. Uh, <laughs> so I think this one's my personal favorite. It's uh, called of, of Mice and Men for Stocks. Oh, uh, yeah. Hugh is the smart and practical George. Dan Dan is the gigantic, physically strong, and mentally handicapped Lenny. I'm, <laughs> hey, I'm two for three. That's not bad. Except he is neither gigantic nor physically strong. <laughs> and has chicken legs. Continue to listen to see if Hugh lets Dan pet the rabbits. Um, okay, this was uh, the nicest one. Very, and very well written. Dan provides a sly, aggressive, and conspicuous dialogue, while Hugh provides a clever insight and mediates the podcast. A great mix. The unique factor that these two bring is the originality and confidence. Influencing traders nowadays take themselves way too seriously, and they deter laid-back people that feel as though they're being abused by experience. Dan and Hugh wants best for you, and will do it in a professional yet casual style. If you're a young trader or even a newbie, this podcast is perfect. Ah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I do too. Aggressive. He called you aggressive. He or she. Uh, this one is called the Freaky Friday of Stocks. Uh, a, yeah, I love this one. A fun story about two underprivileged youth halfway across the country who meet on the internet and bond over their mutual lo love for stocks and fintwit. First, they swap stories. Then in a Freaky Friday-esque twist, they switch bodies. Throughout their discovery of their new bodies, our protagonists learn how to cope with their new realities. Dan finds himself in the body of a 21-year-old millionaire with a heart condition and a, and a hot sister. Hugh learns how to cope with partial lung capacity, a damaged liver, and four chest hairs. Can Hugh still perform in the market despite his new challenges? Will Dan blow up Hugh's account and or home life? Stay tuned and find out. I wouldn't trust you Another with good one. a ninth of my account. Fair. So a tenth is reasonable? <laughs> Uh, and then one, one last one, uh, 
Dan and Hugh are honestly the perfect balance and effectively educate the populace on how to trade smart. Dan being the average everyday trader. I feel like I'm a little better than the average everyday, whatever. And then Hugh, the guy with all the knowledge and success to back it up. This way, the sometimes hard to understand terminology can be translated to layman's terms for everybody to understand. Plus, Hugh's laugh is so funny, I'm making it my ringtone. Mm, hit me up. I was hoping you'd laugh right there. Mm. Uh, but yeah, dude, I, I, I like those, man. Those are good. Uh, I like but yeah, I did, I did say I'd give a t-shirt to those people. And from here on out, we'll be doing one a week for the best one. And it better have a fucking five-star rating with it, too. Now this one-star bullshit, Alex Cutler. So, <laughs> again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. Thank you so much, and we love you. Let's get it, baby. Peace. Yo, yo, yo. Thanks, guys, for giving us a listen. And if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes and dropping us a five-star rating, that would be much appreciated. Love you guys.